We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings. Jumping back in to the NFL today, and you're going to be seeing a lot of NFL draft coverage coming up over the next two weeks as we get ready for that fantastic Thursday where we like to win some prop bets. Not going to lie to you. Joining me today to break down maybe some fantasy football free agent news and maybe a mock draft or two that he has up right now on FTNFantasy.com is Jeff Radcliffe from FTNFantasy.com, from FTN Daily, from FTN Bets. What's going on, man? Uh, Not much. Well, the mock draft, the most recent mock draft I put up, of course I put up, and then immediately it was pretty much rendered useless because the Carolina Panthers decided to trade for Sam Darnold. I did have them trading up to that four spot where Atlanta is currently. But in my next mock draft, because there's still time for more mocks, I'm going to have another team trading up to that Atlanta spot. Uh, That's going to be a very coveted spot with all these quarterbacks. It's draft season. We're just over two weeks away. This is the best time of year. I love it. Well, what people can do is go to ftnfantasy.com right now. There's the entire fantasy rookie scouting guide, player by player, all the comps, all the information that you need to know about this upcoming draft. And I assume that you've put in 24 hours a day on this. It looks immaculate. Uh, So everyone should go check that out right now. ftnfantasy.com if they want to get a piece of that. Yeah, that thing is a labor of love. Takes years off my life every year I do it, but it's well worth the process. Went through 150 prospects, gave you player comps for the biggest names. So nine tight ends, 12 quarterbacks, 18 running backs, 24 wide receiver player comps, but profiles much deeper than that. Stats you need to know. Also at a glance, pro day stats with heat maps. So if you want to see who was the best in the 40-yard dash among the wide receivers, The greenest color is the best. The reddest is the worst, right? You can at a glance compare these guys. And then on top of it, you also get rankings, rankings for two quarterback super flex leagues, because I know a lot of people are doing those right now. And my personal draft board. And the best part, you get in now, you know these players for the draft. Then after the draft, we come back around, we update this with all the players on their teams, update the rankings, update the draft board, and give you additional post-draft fantasy football analysis. There's nothing better. Remember to smash a like button for the episode in the comment section. You tell me which skill position player you hope, that's realistic at least, that your favorite team 
drafts in the 2021 NFL draft. I'm curious to see who the people are going to be on. Now, listen, if you have pick number 21, Trevor Lawrence, probably not going to make it to you. So maybe you leave Trevor Lawrence off the list, but something that's realistic, at least, or maybe hopeful that this player might fall to your team or they go up and grab said player. Uh, The other thing right now too, at uh, either of the FTN sites, whether it be FTN Fantasy, FTN Daily, or FTNBets.com, the full season NFL pass early bird pricing is out right now. It's $349.99 for the year, and it includes all three of the sites. So you don't have to buy the individual packaging at each of the ones. So $349.99. Use code MAYO at checkout. Get 10% off because that price is only going up from here on out. So if you want to get in right now, FTN Daily and go check out the all-site, all-exclusive NFL Pass at FTNDaily.com. What I want to talk, just before we kind of jump in here, uh, do you see a ton of moves at the top of the draft board? Like you said, do you think that Atlanta trades their pick? What situation does Miami end up trading their pick if, like, some of these quarterbacks are still left on the board somehow? Well, I think that's a very likely scenario. They're in a prime spot, and they've already shown they're going to move. They've already moved twice, uh, and the draft hasn't even gotten here. The way I see it unfolding, we, we know it's going to be quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. We know it's going to be very likely Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. We don't know who the third. I'm not taking the cheese on Mac Jones just yet. Something just doesn't compute there for me. But at four, if either Atlanta – Atlanta has one of three things, right? Atlanta can go get themselves the quarterback of the future, but then they have a Matt Ryan problem, obviously. They could go and get a generational prospect in Kyle Pitts, or they could trade out. Now, at five, I do not see Cincinnati trading out. Initially, I thought they might be going left tackle, but, you know, I think they're pretty set at tackle, to be honest with you. Jonah Williams there on the left, so I don't think Penny Sewell goes. So that's that's a spot where we could certainly see Kyle Pitts, perhaps Jamar Chase get reunited with Joe Burrow. So, yes, at six, Miami, there are three teams who I could see moving up. Denver, obviously, in the market for a quarterback. They have nothing. They don't even have a bridge with uh, with Drew Locke. You have New England, who does have a bridge with Cam Newton, but they have scouted quarterbacks hard and want to get up. They're at 15 currently. And then Washington at 19, they got a bridge with Fitzy. Fitzmagic is there, but he's up there in age. And sure, that's all he really is, is a bridge. They could get up there as well. So that sixth spot is going to be a very coveted spot. We could very well see five quarterbacks go in the first six picks. Do you really think that's going to happen? Because I can't recall a year where, I mean, obviously that's never happened before, but it just strikes me as someone's going to start slipping, maybe two guys. Someone will make it. I guess Vegas isn't inside the top 10, so they can't just go completely off the board and take some like Jabroni, who's no good in that like number four or something like that. But it just strikes me as one of these guys is going to slip, maybe two of them. So if you're New England or Washington or even Denver, maybe Denver doesn't even have to trade to get their quarterback. They may not have to. My initial mock had them taking, and this was 1.0 way back like a month and a half ago. Had him taking Mac Jones at nine, but that would still be five quarterbacks in the top 10, which is also uncharted territory. I don't know if you can play the waiting game. You know, the waiting game already showed that it's not going to quite work because if you wanted to wait out, you know, San Francisco, who was at 12, well, San Francisco already beat you to the punch. Carolina figured they were out of the mix. So, you know, they get Sam Darnold. And maybe that ends up being something for them. Philly trades back, but Philly also could have three first-round picks next year, and so they're going to roll with Jalen Hurts. But, I, I mean, you're, you're essentially, I think right now, 
three teams competing for two quarterbacks and maybe even more than three teams. If we consider the likes of Chicago, do they really buy in on Andy Dalton? You can put out all the Instagram and uh, Twitter posts you want about him being a QB one, but do you really buy in on that? I don't think so. And you know, you mentioned some of these other teams who may be in the market, maybe a Raiders is a dark horse. I just don't see waiting working this year. And I do see a lot of teams who will be willing to trade out of that spot. I mean, any one of those teams up there, you know, we could see, I don't think Cincinnati trades out, but you could see Detroit at seven trading back. Carolina seems to think they're content where they are at eight. They could trade back. So, you know, any of those picks up for grabs, I I just don't see the quarterbacks falling. It's a quarterback driven league, man. Why is Detroit not being talked about of taking a quarterback here? Yeah, they got to eat a year of golf, but if golf's no good and the quarterbacks in this draft are, are good, you're sitting at number seven. Why not take one? I think you already have an instant headache there uh, right out of the gate, which they have so many headaches. You're talking about second half of the season, there was no defense who was worse than the Detroit Lions. You're talking about a team who has, and I'm, I'm honest on this one, zero starting wide receivers. You, everybody loves themselves some Tyrell Williams, but they forget that he only had a one good year, and we're now, what, five years removed from that. Quintez Cephas, whatever. Brashad Perryman, whatever. And I like Quintez Cephas in Dynasty. Don't get me wrong, but he's young and unproven. You have a lot of work to do. Sure, you have a nice little backfield. I think Jared Goff gets you by for right now, and you have a lot more. Like, Jared Goff can keep you in games. He's not going to win you games, but he can keep you in games right now. And you have a lot more to attack. Like you're not trying to get to the mountaintop just yet. So I think that you have to address all these other areas first. Why is Justin Fields apparently slipping down draft boards? I don't quite understand it. (laughs) Tis the season of liars. (laughs) I can't, can't take anything at face value right now. I, I think this kid is such a special player who does have some growing to do. Let's be clear. There's one player who I think is immediately starter ready and has been born for this. And that's Trevor Lawrence, right? Trevor Lawrence is generational. Trevor Lawrence is put in the can't miss. And we don't have a lot of those in the history of the NFL. You know, when you're put into a category heading into the NFL with names like John Elway, Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, that's pretty special. Zach Wilson has some deficiencies that he needs to clean up at the pro level. And Justin Fields does as well. Justin Fields doesn't have the processing speed of Trevor Lawrence, but that's, Not a bad thing. Josh Allen didn't have that processing speed when he came into the league as well. And you know what he did have, though, is he had the athleticism. He could lean on that, make things happen. And we saw that over his first two years. That's why he was such a good fantasy asset, was all the scrambling, leaning on his special athletic traits. Now, this year, it all came together. And we saw, man, this dude's a stud now. Fields has that kind of ability. And you cannot teach a six foot three, 230 pound guy to run sub four or five in a 40 yard dash. Like that just, those players don't grow on trees, but there are elements to the game that you can teach him. And as he grows and develops, I think he's going to be a really quality player, but more importantly for, for us, you know, selfishly, it's going to be a really good fantasy asset. Well, you said Mac Jones. And I mean, that's going to be the, all the reports are saying number three, San Francisco, Mac Jones right now, but you're still not buying it. Not buying it. Why would you trade three first-round picks? Now, they got a first-round in exchange, but they're giving up three first-round picks for who I've been calling Kirk Cousins Plus. And that's not a bad thing. That's that's not even a joke. Like, Kirk Cousins Plus is a top-15 starting caliber quarterback in the NFL, but is he the type of guy, like I just said with Jared Goff, to get you to the mountaintop? 
I mean, we see the Los Angeles Rams, right? They had this diesel offense, diesel. And Jared Goff even put up 4,600 yards twice in that offense. That's like Aaron Rodgers doesn't do those sort of passing yard numbers, not comparing the two, but just to put it into context. But he couldn't get you to the mountaintop. You know, he isn't the type of player who says, get on my back, boys. We're going to win this championship. He's not texting them like Tom Brady saying, we're going to win the darn game. It's not the type of player he is. Mac Jones, kind of the same type of guy for me. And granted, you know, hey, yes, he won at Alabama. Of course, he's playing on an all-star team. He's playing on a team with wide receivers, two wide receivers in the top 15 picks. The number one wide receiver on the board last year as well when he got to play on the field. So, I, I mean, I look at him. Is he a good quarterback? Is he a first-round quarterback? Yes, absolutely. Is he a quarterback you mortgage your future for? No, I just don't see that. So do you think it'll be Fields or be, or will it be Trey Lance there? I think it could be one or the other, to be honest with you. When I see both of these guys, like I said, they have developing to do, but they both have the, the intangibles that you can't teach. Uh, Trey Lance, perhaps even more mobile than Justin Fields. And Justin Fields isn't like a mobile first guy. You know, he's, got, he's a traditional more pocket passer who has the mobility the beauty to San Francisco, though, is you don't need a guy who you can plug in immediately and have to start. You have Jimmy Garoppolo, so you can lean on Garoppolo for four games, eight games, maybe even a full season. I mean, that would be a little unprecedented to have the number three overall pick sit for the first season of his career. But I don't want to say it's completely outlandish when you have that resource on your team. But I do think it's much more likely one of those two guys. You, you draft, this is kind of like an NBA thing for me, the way I view it. You're drafting for ceiling. Mac Jones's floor is higher than both of those guys, but those two guys have a significantly higher ceiling. So if you're going to mortgage your future, you're doing so for a high ceiling. Can you tell me a little bit about Zach Wilson? I don't want to hear about arm strength or anything good. I only want to hear about bad things about Zach Wilson. If he's going to the Jets, I want him to be terrible. So what are the big <laughs> negatives with Zach Wilson? <laughs> Uh, inexperience, uh, you know, at, at the highest level is probably the biggest knock. He's playing at BYU. He's not playing at Alabama. Uh, he is a one-year wonder as well. Now, one-year wonders can work. Joe Burrow was in a lot of years uh, or a lot of ways a one-year wonder, although the writing was kind of on the wall for Joe Burrow, and then it was the perfect season. So I don't want to say that's a complete knock. Uh, you know, I, I think that we're going to see some decision-making issues with Zach Wilson early in his career. And then probably the biggest knock actually has nothing to do with him. It's that he's going to a team that is still ill-equipped from a personnel standpoint. You know, whoever goes to San Francisco is in a much better spot, right? You step in, you have an all-world receiving tight end in George Kittle. You have movable chess pieces at wide receiver in Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. And you have a diesel run game. Now, the run game could – it's going to be very similar with Mike LaFleur in the Jets uh, organization now. But who's back there? Who's your running back, right? Uh, you know, who's, who's your wide receivers? Denzel Mims, okay. Corey Davis, all right. I mean, I, I like Corey Davis. I think he's better suited to be a number two than a number one. So I just don't like the setup, at least for success initially for Wilson. That's why I'm actually higher, for, higher on him in the NFL draft than I am for dynasty fantasy purposes. Well, if, okay, let's say we were to take two guys and throw them back into this draft. Much has been made about how Sam Darnold's only like eight years old or something like that. So let's call him a young man. Let's throw him back in. Don't have to worry about his contract. He's just in this draft. Let's throw Tua back in this draft too. Where did they rate out among these guys? Because it sounds like it's Lawrence and then it's this group of four. 
obviously they would probably be in that group before i think would they be near the top of this class of the of the next level or would they be at the bottom of that at the bottom but not the very bottom i still i think jones would jones or darnold maybe it was probably darnold at the absolute bottom uh jones right there and then Tua would be a tick ahead of him uh, i i you know i i we can't undervalue what we saw to Tua at Alabama and we can't overvalue what we saw last year coming off a devastating injury where it's kind of remarkable that he was you know, he was able to get on the field and and start so I'm going to save my full evaluation for him until after this year we see a full season out of him now and that's the other thing too do we see a full season or do we see Brian Flores say all right we got Brissett here too so we can get him in as that relief pitcher at any point like they were doing with Fitzy last year but I do think you look at Again, that ceiling aspect of of Lance and of Fields and of Wilson, and the ceiling is higher than what you have with the other guys. And really, Wilson's a pretty mobile quarterback. I think that kind of has flown under the radar. He, you know, for me, there's a lot of he's on the player spectrum of Aaron Rodgers. A lot of similarities there. He, I'm not. Please don't hit me up on Twitter and be like, "Oh, you're calling him a Hall of Famer already." No, I'm saying similar playing style can make those off platform throws has the huge arm can flick the wrist, the balls down the field and is smart enough to, to use his legs at times and add extra yards. That way He's a little bit of a better running quarterback than Rogers was coming into the league, but along that same style of player. So yeah, those guys would be ahead of, of Darnold and Tua. So just talking strictly fantasy, and I guess maybe this depends on the final draft spot and where these guys end up going but besides Lawrence who is the fantasy asset in this draft if you were to take like let me let me try to see if I can do this if Fields you know like you said hey maybe he has the athleticism of Josh Allen he's so fast like can we expect a lot of rushing yards from him or do you think that it depends on where he goes to see if that's unleashed or not I don't think it it, 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 there's any way you're going to be able to fully contain it you know, same thing with, with Lance. I, I do think there's going to be a lot of instances early in their careers where if that first read isn't there, I don't see them necessarily sticking, working through their progressions and and then, you know, maybe throwing the ball away. I, I think it's going to be a lot of first read go and they're off and running. Now that's, of course, dangerous as well because, you know, scrambling in the NFL can lead to getting hurt in the NFL pretty quickly so I always love what they do, they did with Lamar Jackson. They realized, okay, this guy is a he's he's a better running quarterback than he is a throwing quarterback, and I think he's impressed people with his his chops as a passer. But he's not a four thousand five hundred yard thrower by any means. So let's build an offense that taps into that. Let's design runs, and then that way, if they're design runs, and then Lamar on top of it does a great job of avoiding the massive hits. Like I'm not saying he completely avoids them, but does a better job than, you know, like Michael Vick did, for example, or a Robert Griffin III, that's, um, you know, that's beneficial. I, I think you have to design around these guys initially, but you're not going to be able to stop them from running. Are they going to be 1,000-yard rushers? Highly unlikely. But could they be 500-plus-yard rushers? Yeah, they definitely could be. Uh, that's in the cards. And then especially, you know, for our purposes, we want to see these guys running in the red zone, hopefully getting some touchdowns because they're pretty darn valuable when a quarterback gets in the zone as a runner. Uh, let's kind of move to the NFL guys right now and just talk fantasy Tua looks like he's going to be the guy in Miami. You said it's kind of shocking that he even ended up on the field last year. He's kind of a mystery 
in year two and what he's going to present in this offense. But he's got some weapons, at least in the passing game, to go with now. Maybe the playbook is going to be a bit more unleashed for him last year because it really did seem like, okay, here's the Tua package, and it has no plays in it. And here's the Fitz package, which is just press the ball down the field. Obviously, not the same types of quarterbacks, but it was very distinctive how different the play calling was when one was in the game versus the other when they were in the game. But from a fantasy perspective, do you think that Tua gets a bit more mobile this year? I know that he's not a huge runner, but can he do enough with his legs either to extend drives or even chip in like, you know, three, four fantasy points per week and then have enough through the passing game where he can be maybe a top 12 guy? I don't know if we have that. I mean, I want to see what they do at wide receiver because essentially, you know, Devontae Parker is sort of like a DeAndre Hopkins type. Like he's not a blazing fast guy, but he has good ball skills. You know, he, he can play up above the rim. Tua, the, the difference that I saw with Tua, at least, you know, you can kind of comparing him to Fitzpatrick with, with uh, Parker is Fitzpatrick was much more willing to just fit that ball in there when you had that inch of daylight, right? Whereas Tua, see, it, it felt like he almost needed him to be open. And Parker's just not going to get that type of separation. It's just not the type of player he is. So we'll see if he co- becomes more comfortable. But I'd love to see him get a speed guy. Like, I'd love to see them get him paired back up with, with Waddle or, you know, Devontae Smith, who is actually a lot faster than a lot of people realize. The play speed is just outrageous. Or you could get one of these guys, the possible day two guys, the Kadarius Tonys of the world, who could potentially open up uh, that offense a little bit. Well, top 12 would be really pushing it, though, for Tua. I could see him surfacing as a QB, too, but uh, top 12 is pushing it. Well, I mean, when Will Fuller ends up returning from his suspension from PEDs, obviously he's going to be faster. He was on PEDs. This is going to be great for Tua. Yeah, how long until he uh, is off the field again? It's so frustrating there. But, you know, I mentioned the, uh, the DeAndre Hopkins comp for, for Parker. In a lot of ways, there's a similarity in their skill set. That's good for Fuller. He knows how to work off of that. The problem, though, is does Parker eat up the coverage like we saw with Hopkins? Because that was, you know, that was certainly helpful. And there were times where Fuller would absolutely just take over a game. And then, you know, hey, is, is Tua as willing to make those throws as Deshaun Watson was in Houston? That's the other question there. I mean, there's no doubt Fuller has a lot of upside, but, you know, he also comes with the downside of could get hurt at any time, as we've seen over the course of his career. I think having Gasecki there, though, is pretty interesting. Started to come on, obviously, yet again last year. We're only seeing the arrow pointing up with him. He has the freakish athleticism. So if they can tap into that as well. It's good for Tua. I do think we're going to see a lot of run in this offense. I don't know if it's going to be Miles Gaskin, but we know the team likes to utilize the running back and whoever that running back is in a three down role. Uh, that could, um, you know, so maybe may not be the fastest paced offense out there either. Do you think that there is any shot that they take pits at number six? Oh yeah, there, there absolutely is a shot. You know, you, you, any team, once you get beyond the quarterback teams, the teams who are going to take quarterback hell or high water, any team out there has to consider him. You know, this kid has special traits. He's a, obviously the size speed aspect that you can't teach. He plays like a wide receiver. Like I, I, I end up comping him in the FTN rookie fantasy scouting guide to Darren Waller, because I did think it would like maybe break people's brains if I put Calvin Johnson in there, but that's the player I see a lot of in him. He's not quite as fast as Calvin, but he's pretty darn close and he has such impressive ball skills. Like he scored 12 receiving touchdowns last year. 
with, with just over 40 catches. I mean, everything he did was great on the field. He's a type of player who could completely transform the position. So you have to consider that. Now, I need to be really clear when I talk about him in this way, because a lot of people hear me and they hear a fantasy analyst talking about a tight end and they say, oh my God, I got to take this guy. I'm talking about him for NFL purposes. NFL teams are evaluating him not for 2021, but for 10, 12, whatever years he's going to be in the league. When we evaluate him for 2021, I think people are going to draft him entirely too high. And this is really telling something here. There's only one tight end in NFL history who went over 1,000 receiving yards in his rookie year, and it was Mike freaking Ditka in 1961. That's how long it's been. There's nobody who's even really gotten close. The most recent good rookie tight end that we saw was Evan Ingram, and the only reason why he put up good fantasy numbers is because nobody else was there. Everybody got hurt at the end of the year. Remember the hype over TJ Hawkinson, a top 10 pick. He ends up having a great week one and then nothing from there. So just remember in redraft leagues for fantasy football purposes, it takes a while at the position to produce. I do think he's a top 12 guy, not knowing his landing spot, but taking him, some people are taking him as the fourth tight end off the board right now, which is just outlandishly crazy to me. Well, who would be the fourth tight end off the board? I'm guessing I haven't done rankings yet, but just, you know, off the top of my head, Kelsey Kittle, Waller, then blank. Uh, so I can see why people want to take him at that spot. I'm with you. Rookie tight ends can be valuable week to week in DFS, but for your season long team, they're probably going to sink you more often than they help you go to a fantasy championship. So who are we looking in that four spot? Is like Noah Fant ready to take the leap? Uh, not quite. There's a lot of mouths to feed there. That's the one problem. So I mentioned Detroit has nobody to catch the ball, but they do have TJ Hawkinson and he was a top five option last year. And actually Jared Goff, I mean, he doesn't push the ball downfield. Okay, great. Throw it to the short and intermediate, throw it to Hawk all day long. I don't mind him. I think Mark Andrews is interesting. Of course, Mark Andrews goes as uh, Lamar Jackson goes. So if Lamar is super efficient, like touchdown passing wise, then Mark Andrews is going to be a beast. If not, he'll still be top five-ish. And then I think the other player you have to give serious consideration to there is Dallas Goddard. Uh, Zach Ertz is fully expected to be out of town. They're also a team with very little depth at receiver. And Goddard is an absolute mismatch. Now, he's not Rob Gronkowski, but he has a Gronk-like skill set, an inline guy who is impossible for linebackers to cover over the middle. So he could be a, another guy there. I think if you look outside of the top three, that's really got to be the next three for me. And do the New England guys factor into this at all? Is it going to be tough because we don't know who's going to be who? That's the big thing, yeah. I would love to just say, oh, it's Henry or oh, it's Smith. I think that's going to be frustrating week to week. I mean, we used to experience the Belichickery at running back annually. Well, it looks like we're going to have some Belichickery at, at tight end where one week John R. Smith's going to look awesome. Then the next week it'll be Hunter Henry and back and forth and good luck predicting not to mention the fact that you're going to have a quarterback who's going to run a hundred plus times. You have a run heavy offense already as it is with all the running backs they have in that backfield. So I don't know how many targets are going to be either. It's frustrating. I mean, it's good for new England you know, they obviously have a plan that they're executing here, but for fantasy purposes, it's going to be a major headache. I'm just looking down, just trying to jog my memory of tight ends. I've been in golf mode for some time, and I have to get myself reestablished back into football. Gerald Everett in Seattle seems to make a whole lot of sense to me, though. Yeah, Seattle's another team who does like to uh, accumulate tight ends. Uh, so you have Will Disley there. He's going to be involved. 
that that to me makes it a little bit problematic. Plus the fact that you are going to be, unfortunately, a run heavy team. You know, they they have Chris Carson back, so they're going to run the rock. So there's not a ton of meat on the bone there. Everett, you know, he's an interesting player. I was hoping he would go to somewhere where he truly would be featured. He's going to be a part of this offense, though. He does come with some upside. Wouldn't shock me if he ends up being like a top 20 guy. But it comes with the, the downside of this week, it could be Disley. Like, we're, we've all been there. We're all watching NFL Red Zone or watching a game. The darn tight end scores. You have the tight end on that team. You jump up and you realize it's the freaking other guy. The darn other guy, Dalton Schultz, caught the touchdown, right? I think that's going to happen with uh, with uh, Everett a bunch this year. Will it end up being Will Disley or whoever else they have behind him sometimes getting in there and sneaking in for touchdowns? Yeah, that's going to happen to poor friend of the show, Donald Parham, uh, when Jared Cook starts catching his, like, four touchdowns scattered across, like, every six games throughout the course of the season. So poor Parham owners out there. They're not probably not going to – be enjoying too much of the Jared Cook experience this year. So that leaves like Gesicki. Is Logan Thomas like a legit like top five threat at the position? He's right there. Pretty darn close. You have to love the fact that you get Fitzy in there. Uh, you, you know, you may have a little bit more competition for targets though. You do have, you know, Curtis Samuel on the roster now as well. Kelvin Harmon should be back uh, this year and in the mix, the slot receiver as well. But Thomas, I mean, you know, we no longer say, hey, converted quarterback. We just say tight end. He's coming off an awesome year. And, yeah, I, I do have him just outside of that next three. But, you know, him, Noah, Fant, they're, they're both top ten guys in the, in the mix as well. As you know, I've been trying to cut down on carbs and sugar and unhealthy food and basically realized I can't eat anything anymore. But now there's Magic Spoon, our good friends at Magic, and to quote the tick from the animated series in the 90s, Spoon! You got to get some. I'm dead serious about this. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories per serving as well. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And we've got exciting news. Listen, friends, listen to this. Magic Spoon will be releasing two amazing flavors this month for a limited time only. We're talking about cookies and cream and maple waffle. Yum. And if that isn't the most comforting, indulgent combination, then I don't know what is. It's the ultimate treat yourself combo. So make sure you get some well you can for the limited time or build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are coca, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, and cinnamon. And if you're listening from Canada... Magic Spoon now ships there as well. Mixing cocoa with peanut butter tastes exactly like a peanut butter cup, by the way. But if you want to take it from me, I would just order all the fruity possible. That stuff is awesome. So go to magicspoon.com slash mayo to grab the new limited edition cookies and cream, maple waffle, or a custom bundle of cereal to try today. And be sure to use our promo code mayo at checkout to save $5 off your order. This offer is good now anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use code MAYO at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for whatever reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, to get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash mayo and use the code MAYO to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. I did want to talk about Darnold because I have not talked about this on the show yet. 
what do you make of this move to Carolina? And like, what was the problem with Teddy Bridgewater? Teddy's Teddy, man. No upside. You yeah, know, but you can't really tap the, into. The, the, what are we looking at with Darnold? You're looking at a, an open book, I really think. I don't think we've seen what Darnold can be. He's been in purgatory for the last three years. And, and now you put him in an offense that has better weapons. you got some juice with DJ Moore. You get him back with Robbie Anderson. And by the way, probably the best running back of this generation at, as of right now. I mean, Christian McCaffrey's spectacular. Got to stay on the field. But, you know, when he was on a field last year, the three games he played, he was outrageously good. You know, it's just – couldn't stay on the field, but that does help. And then I think the big deciding factor as well is, you know, you do have a very bright offensive mind in Joe Brady. Hey, if Joe Brady turns Sam Darnold around in one year, this dude's going to be a head coach next year, no doubt in my mind. That plus the age for Carolina really puts this in play. You know, you're not getting a guy who's Matthew Stafford, 33 years old. You you know, what is he, nine years younger than Stafford? So you have some time here. Plus, you do also have that fifth-year option, which is which is a nice little uh, piece there for Carolina that they can use. And you know, Teddy's more of a backup quarterback. I, it's amazing that he's playing. I credit where credit's due, but he's a backup quarterback at this point. And again, I never really mean that as an insult. It, it, the world needs backup quarterbacks as well, and he's he'd be one of the better in the league. But I just don't think he's the type of player who can actually lead these teams to you know, NFL champ, or, or, you know, NFC championships. And then, and then uh, the Super Bowl. I just don't see him as that type of guy. What do you think is a higher number? Sam Darnold touchdown passes or pounds he gains living in Charlotte eating barbecue. <laughs> so are we saying he's going to gain what? Let, he what's has, the over under uh, here? 19 and a half, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I just looking at his body type, <laughs> I'm going to say like 35 and a half. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I wonder what their um, what their workout program is. Maybe they had to write that into uh, his contract there. Were, were yeah, you, I, I mean, hey, were you surprised they ahead. didn't get a tight end? Uh, not necessarily. I, I mean, I don't know how much, how big of a tight how much of a, a big part of that offense a tight end needs to be. You know, you think back to uh, the LSU offense because that's like our comp here. Thaddeus Moss was there. He's really a blocking tight end. You had the other guy, uh, Sullivan, who maybe basically like a wide receiver who played tight, like a bigger wide receiver type, bigger, slower wide receiver type, like a big slot. I, I don't know. I don't know if you need anything more. And, and like Ian Thomas is still young in the tight end spectrum. I like to give these guys four to five years to fully develop. And, you know, maybe that's where they are with him. I, I don't know if you necessarily really needed a tight end. And, you know, you, you can't rule out the fact like, Friermuth's going to go on day two. Is it is it Friermuth? Do you look at, at a guy like that to Carolina? Perhaps I, I'm not really, honestly, not even really sure where Friermuth's going to go. But he's going to be a guy who will contribute, uh, you know, almost immediately and then continue to grow into the position. It's a pretty interesting player, actually. We see a whole bunch of quarterbacks, day two quarterbacks, potentially even day three quarterbacks, just randomly stumble into their chance to start, like a la Gardner Minshew kind of thing. Are there anyone in this draft in particular? I guess it's going to take the proper landing spot and an injury to happen in front of them to see them in action. Is there anyone you're excited for from like day two, day three quarterbacks? Not really day three. I mean, it's really tough on day three in this era uh, to to be a factor. You're not a KJ Costello guy? Well, KJ Costello, he couldn't even keep his job in Stanford. Actually, it's the kid who took his job who I think is more interesting, Davis Mills. But 
you know, basically everything I've heard is Davis Mills isn't going to make a pass round two. The problem with Davis Mills, while he looks the part and has a lot of things you want for an NFL quarterback, he has 11 starts in his college career. So that's a little bit tricky there. I think the player probably, other than Kyle Trask, he's the obvious answer. He's the guy who could go on day two. He's a throwback quarterback, a statue, but can sling it, looks the part. His hands are like 15 inches. You know, like he's, he's like the, the, the Drew Bledsoe type of this year's class. But I think Kellen Mond is really the most interesting. If there's like a Dak Prescott in this class uh, who goes a little bit later, but then, you know, immediately steps in and, and makes an impact, that's who it is. Kellen Mond, four-year starter, played in pro-style system, little bit undersized, mobile though, a leader, can throw the football, and now has a lot of buzz behind him. He's another guy who will very likely go in round two. I like your player comps for some of these guys just because I saw Tim Tebow next to someone's name. I was like, oh, <laughs> that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, so Sam Ellinger. Um, and it's like he's like a righty Tebow. That's really what he is. It's like the thing that you loved about Tim Tebow, and I actually am going to finish this sentence. The thing that you loved about Tim Tebow for fantasy is that he ran the football. He was a quarterback one, a top 12 quarterback. The problem with Tim Tebow for football was that he would always look to scramble. And then on top of it was that lanky, wide arcing throwing motion. Well, Ellinger just does it from the right side. It's not as elongated as Tebow's, but it is pretty elongated. And yeah, he looks a lot like a right-handed Tim Tebow. I want to hit some free agency stuff with you. Um, James Conner goes to Arizona. So bad news for chase edmonds but maybe it's not bad news for chase edmonds because the worst news would have been arizona takes one of these running backs uh, either in the second round or maybe even in the first round and they just come in usurp all of the starting work i still think that edmonds is going to be the guy that gets the majority of touches and maybe he's like old school Kenyon drake when Kenyon drake was on the dolphins it was like hey he has these eight to 12 touches per game and he's great now that he's in Houston, he's going to get 25 touches a game. And it turns out he just produced exactly the same as he did on the eight touches. Maybe Edmonds is just one of those guys and that he can still be very much fantasy viable as a running back too in PPR formats. And you just pray Connors doesn't steal all the touchdowns. But Kyler Murray was stealing all the touchdowns anyway. So that's not why you were drafting Chase Edmonds in the first place. I, I feel like he's still going to be fine, but we can get a better discount on him now. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that take. I, I, I do think that's the popular sentiment, and I could be way off base with my evaluation here. But the way that I view it, like he's not like Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake's six foot one, you know, Edmonds is five foot nine. And I think we're ignoring Edmonds' role in the offense. Like last year, every time we'd be like, no, you got a free Chase Edmonds. Kenyon Drake isn't doing that well. Edmonds is the better fantasy option. We were ignoring how the numbers were being produced. Every single week, Kenyon Drake was dominating in terms of the early down work. Edmonds was producing as a receiver. You know, he had, what, not, he didn't even have 100 carries last year. So there's guys in the NFL every year that we see with this profile. Like the classic name would be like somebody like Theo Riddick from recent history or, you know, Giovanni Bernard. These are guys who are going to get 100 to 120 carries in the course of a season, but they're also going to catch – 50, 60, maybe even more passes out of the backfield. Depends on how the season goes. James White was maybe an extreme example because he barely carried the football. But that type of role in the offense, that's what I'm seeing with Chase Edmonds. You know, a little bit undersized, but you can utilize him in space like that. He is dynamic when he gets the ball in his hands. But every time he's gotten the opportunity to be a true feature back, he gets hurt because he's a bit undersized. You bring in Connor. 
No problem with the size issue there. I said on Twitter and a lot of backlash from this immediately after this news was released that Connor's just going to take Kenyon Drake's role in the offense. He's going to be the early down guy, 15 carries a game or so. And then Edmonds, his role has not changed whatsoever from last year. I know people don't want to hear that, but you know what? I'm not here to just tell people what they want to hear. I'm telling you what my evaluation is. I don't see anything changing. Now, of course, the big challenge with Connor is he, he can't stay on the football field. So that's going to be an issue there. And we're certainly seeing major signs of decline out of him. But I do see at least now, if they don't address the position in the draft, that that's going to be the committee situation we're looking at. Yeah, and I agree with you that Connor will be the lead of that committee, but it'll be all carry base for him, very little work in the receiving game. And then he probably gets the goal line work, but like we know that Kyler Murray just calls his own number and takes touchdowns away from them anyway. So being the goal line back in Arizona isn't the most useful thing going. All I really want is to make sure that this isn't like a 75-25 split. If we can get like a 60-40 split in this situation and we can bump up Chase Edmonds from like seven carries a game to, let's say, 10 carries a game, or at least with the potential to take over the job if something were to happen to Connor, which we could expect at this point based on his track record. And then he's still on the field enough where he can be getting four, five, six targets per game that he becomes this cheaper piece of this back. Like he's the more valuable piece of the committee, despite the fact that he doesn't touch the ball quite as often. And then you always have the room to grow if anything were to happen to Connor. I just think this Connor situation just casts such dispersion on Chase Edmonds that you're looking at a situation where now if people were so hyped that he was going to go into the third round, yeah, he might drop back down to like the sixth or the seventh now if people want to mm-hmm. you know, just buy into Connor, which I assume no one wants. Yeah, I think you're right there. Uh, Edmonds will still likely be the the better or the earlier fantasy pick, but you're right. If he goes in that range where you're talking about he could be your third running back or if he even goes a little bit later, say he's an eighth-round guy, the fourth running back you take, I don't mind that at all. I just want to make sure that, you know, I my goal is always to have uh, expectations where they should be uh, as opposed to, you know, too lofty i mean we see that so often with the fantasy audience the expectations are so enormous sometimes for some of these guys and then you hear uh the 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 backlash as a result Uh, chase edmonds is a really good passing down back he's undersized for early down works we just have to know the type of player we're dealing with yeah if you can somewhat project an increase in usage not substantially like you get him from 97 attempts to 125 or something like that. And then maybe you luck into 135 or something like that. And then he had 53 receptions last year. If you can get that up to like 65 or 70, you're still looking at a running back too, I think. I could see that. I could see that. He could be a little bit frustrating when you lean on those PPR guys like that, but I could see that. What do you make of Kenyon Drake going to the Raiders? And what does that do to Josh Jacobs? I don't think it changes Josh Jacobs. It's just further affirmation that or confirmation that uh, the Raiders don't buy into Josh Jacobs as a pass catcher at all, like whatsoever. They don't want to use him. So he's basically uh, like a Derrick Henry type in terms of usage. Could he be a 300 carry guy? Yes, absolutely. Is he going to average much more than two catches a game? Probably not. You know, he could, uh, you know, end up the season with 30 to 35 catches, and that's that. So he's never going to add you that that aspect uh, for fantasy purposes, which adds what I always call the Derek dilemma. The Derek dilemma that with Derek Henry, if Derek Henry scores a touchdown, he's awesome. If he doesn't score a touchdown, it's probably not a good fantasy week, right? Because he he had 20 carries for 98 yards and no catches, so he didn't get you much in a PPR league. 
I think I'm going to get that with Jacobs. We're going to see Kenyon Drake a little bit in terms of a runner, but much more so involved in the passing game. John Gruden has basically said as much. So Kenyon Drake could be a 45, 50 catch guy. Josh Jacobs, a 260 to 280 carry guy. And we're kind of right where we were all along. The interesting thing, you have players, you have Jonathan Taylor, who's not a pass catching back and has a primary pass catching back on that roster in Naeem Hines who people are regarding as a top 10 option. You have Derrick Henry, who I, I mentioned, and obviously, rightfully so, he's a top five option on a lot of boards. People have moved Josh Jacobs down to like RB20 in places. So I'm missing something in, in translation there, and I'll be happy to take Jacobs at, at a good value if we can get him. Wouldn't the move just be to take Drake and then pray something happens to Jacob and then Kenyon Drake gets the best of both worlds? Potentially, but I, I, you know, I don't want to just draft a player hoping that another player gets hurt. Oh, Jeff, that's uh, the I, move. That, that take Latavius Murray every year. I'll be taking some Devonta Booker for when Saquon goes down this year. These are all potential RB ones that you can get in the last round if things fall your way. Well, I'll tell you the exact rebuttal to why that doesn't work. Tony but it does. Pollard. But it does work. I have won leagues doing this. Tony Pollard is the rebuttal. Tony Pollard. Last year, Tony Pollard was an 11th round ADP. That means he was drafted in basically every league. When Zeke missed that game, what was it, week 15 last year? Tony Pollard was available in half of leagues. So that meant that all those people who used that strategy, half of the teams dropped this dude. So they basically, whatever, they, they picked him, they dropped him. So I, I don't think people are going to hang on long enough in a lot of instances. That's why I typically don't even use that strategy. I use my late round picks at other positions and try to get uh, really, I try to get four running backs before I get to round 10. Ah, see, I use rounds 10 to 16 to basically just, who, who could possibly have the easiest path to the highest upside in the situation? And you're right. If it doesn't happen in like the first four or five weeks, then you probably have to end up throwing them back because bye weeks hit, injuries hit, and you need people to fill in. But if those injuries come along a little bit earlier, then all of a sudden you don't need to be scouring the waiver wire. You got these guys already. And with there being very few bye weeks very early on in the season, you have some time to use your bench to your advantage in that way, where once the buys end up coming along, then you have to make some tough decisions. But there are only probably a handful of guys who are backup running backs entering the year that you're like, oh, if the starter gets hurt, this is their job. And they're going to be incredibly valuable. Like another name to throw onto that mix would be like Alexander Madison last year. Now people got it conflated that, oh, he was going to have a role with Delvin Cook. Like you could flex him every week. That's never going to be the case with these guys. I would never draft anyone in the handcuff situation to say, oh, you know what? I can just roll them out there every week anyway, because they're in a split spot. Now I either want Delvin Cook to be out or I'm not using Alexander Madison. So when his ADP got up to like round seven or something like that, that's stupid. But if you can take someone like round 14 and round 15 and just roll the dice for the first few weeks, it at least prevents me from having to battle everyone out on the waiver wire with them should something happen. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Guys like that are what I often call a premium handcuff anyway. So you have a few of them every single year and they're not late round guys. They're not a Tony Pollard. They're a eighth round guy. Usually that's where Alexander Madison was going last year. Lat Murray was going in that range. I don't mind taking those guys as my fourth running back and, and realizing fully that they're a scratch off lottery ticket. They're not a guy who I'm using, you know, at, at all, <laughs> you know, at the beginning of the year, this year is going to be interesting as well. Cause we don't know when the bye weeks are going to be, but we can assume based on everything that we're hearing from the NFL, that they're going to start later than they ordinarily would. Cause if you have a bye week in like week five, 
there's some teams that are going to be playing a lot of games in a row then. So I think that we're going to see them a little bit more condensed this year. So that, that could throw some interesting wrinkles in when you look at strategy for draft. I don't really, you know, I don't use bye weeks as like, I'm not going to draft these guys because they have the same bye week. But I do think of bye weeks in that bye weeks change rankings, right? Guys who are ordinarily wide receiver fours become wide receiver threes. You know, they become startable options during the bye weeks when you take players out of the mix who are above them. So it does, um, you know, your depth is very, very important at that point. And you now have to think about, all right, can I hang on to this depth all the way up to that point of the season? How am I going to use these bench spots for waivers? All of that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Geo to Tampa. Does this render every single Tampa running back essentially inert for your fantasy team? No, it renders Tom Brady even better. Giovanni Bernard is really one of the best passing block, pass blocking uh, running backs of this generation. And that is exactly where they were lacking. Leonard Fournette can catch the ball to the backfield. Can't block to save his life. Ronald Jones can't really do either of them. Keyshawn Vaughn is a rookie now going into his second year. Who's still unproven. Why not just get a dog, get a dog back there. And that's exactly what they did. Giovanni Bernard's not going to do much. What does he have? Like 25 carries, you know, this year, he's not going to have much there, but he'll be out there in key passing situations, especially when they want to keep Tom clean. We know the offensive line is really good. That's a big reason why they won that Super Bowl. Their offensive line was better than Kansas city's offensive line. Add another piece to the puzzle. For me, this is a football move where the rich get richer. This is not a fantasy move. I, you know, I was really hoping we would get a running back at the end of the first round to Tampa. I don't think that's as likely now uh, because I was thinking you might get one of those three down backs in, in Harris or ETN or even Williams. Don't think it's likely now. I do think a wide receiver is pretty likely though, but I, I think it's just a football move. Doesn't really change my outlook on them for fantasy. Still four net, but I don't love it. I feel like it would just take away from all of them just considering it's another body to put on the field. So everyone snap shares and thus their potential for more touches would go down. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I agree. I mean, it's really the passing down work. That's the, the, that was what made Lombardi Lenny so valuable in playoff fantasy leagues. He was an every down guy. Basically you take that off the plate. Now it's, you're almost a touchdown dependent, you know, early down back. That's not good. We also have to deal with the fact that, any week, Ronald Jones could come out and be, you know, beast mode, Ron Jones. And yeah, it's going to be frustrating in that backfield. Last one, Patriots offense with no Edelman now that he's been cut. Maybe we'll talk about uh, him going uh, surefire Hall of Famer, Julian Edelman, as Twitter has either told me or not told me. It's either one or the other, which we have to do it. Look at his playoff numbers, Jeff. He's so good. But in that offense, if you're going to take any member of the receiving game, who would it be? Is it Jacoby Myers who was getting like a 30% target share last year? No, I, I don't think it's going to be him. I honestly think you're in a situation where the two tight ends both lead the team in targets. As of right now, unless they address the position in the draft, which they could, they may have to, they, they really have to. I don't know if they end up trading to kill Harry or not, but that is, you know, that's really the, the glaring problem here. You know, Belichick, it's already come out. Belichick ignored his scouts on that one. His scouts had A.J. Brown higher. A.J. Brown would have looked pretty good for that team. <laughs> and uh, now you have Nikhil Harry, who you almost, 
I, I think you're just trading him away for a baloney sandwich at this point. I don't know what you can even get for him as a first round pick. So yeah, I think it's tight ends. It's tight ends. Cam Newton will be fine. He's going to be a two quarterback league quarterback. Nobody's going to want to draft him because everybody loves to hate Cam Newton, which is fine. Just draft him late. He'll score a bunch of touchdowns as a runner. He'll run the ball a whole heck of a lot. I, sh- I sure as heck hope he throws for more than eight touchdowns this year, but he should. He's not going to be a 4,000-yard passer. But even if he moderately increases his passing touchdown productivity, he was quarterback 17 last year. You know, like, okay, fine. I'll take him as the 23rd quarterback off the board where he's going right now. No problem. Jeff Radcliffe, you can listen to him every day on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio and check out all of his work up on FTN Fantasy, FTN Daily, and FTNBets.com. Pump the draft guide once again because it's an amazing read. Yeah, before I do that, I'm excited for this news that we could see a CFL-XFL merger of some sort. That would be exciting there. Uh, I know, you know, the, the Canadian crowd there, no doubt, loves the CFL. Oh, yeah. Uh, as, hey, as a Canadian, I can tell you how fucking good the CFL is. Good you, just, you guys just love it. What is what is the Canadian football? Is it like your fifth sport, sixth sport? Uh, let's see. Curler or hockey? Curling are probably one and two. Um, lacrosse, too, la- right? Well, I'm, a, I'm actually from Canada and a professional lacrosse Yes, player. I saw that. No, that is Canada's official summer sport, with hockey being its okay. official winter sport. Is the CFL is, like, really... I, I guess it's big in Montreal, and it's big out west in Canada. Like, I live in okay. Toronto. No one gives a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, there you go. To the XFL, that's what's going to save it. Um, but regarding the, uh, the rookie fantasy scouting guide, which you can get over at ftnfantasy.com, uh, you can buy it by itself, but you know what? Why don't you just subscribe to the, the, the package here? Either you can go all access, like Pat mentioned earlier, uh, if you want to get in on our betting and DFS content, or you know, if you just want the fantasy football stuff, cool, all good, ftnfantasy.com. Sign up for a subscription there. You'll get rankings and projections and waiver wire recommendations, all the fun stuff that you get, tools, all that good stuff uh, throughout the entire year. Plus, you get access to the guide, which is available right now. Player profiles for 150 players. Rankings, two quarterback rankings, top 30 IDP rankings, my draft board, all kinds of stats. It's it's goodness. And it's uh, you know 42 pages that will get you ready for the NFL draft. And I can't read, so it's tough for me. I had to get someone to read it to me. So maybe I'll try to do an <laughs> audiobook version of it at some point. There we go. I All right. like it. Yes, uh, so you can get the FTN Fantasy, the rookie guide, if you just want that by itself, or get the all-access pass at FTN Fantasy, FTN Daily, and FTNBets.com, $349.99 for the year. Code Mayo gets you 10% off that glorious package. It's only going up, like I mentioned, so you might as well jump in now if you are committing to doing everything there is to do, whether it's betting, DFS, and fantasy on football this season. Remember to smash the like button on the way out, rate and review the podcast, That'll do it. NFL is back and be prepared for a whole lot more football content coming at you very soon. I'm Pat Mayo. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience. Experience.